Come on, Sunday morning is the new Friday night. I love it. I love it. Hey, welcome to Hope City Church today. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here, and uh, just thanks for being here. What a great day to be in church together. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, we're just glad you're here. You know, Easter is, is obviously a weekend or a time when uh, more people come to church than any other time or weekend uh, in the year. And so if you're here today, maybe this is your first time in church ever. Maybe this is your first time in church since last year. Maybe this is just something that you do every now and then. Uh, we're just glad you're here. You picked an amazing weekend to be here because for those of us who believe in Jesus, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, this is like our Super Bowl. This is, this is when we celebrate that Jesus was not just like any other person, but he, uh, he's alive. He rose from the dead. And so uh, we call that resurrection, and it's why we get so excited and why we, uh, why we love to come together. So thank you for being here today. And uh, what we're going to do today for the time that we have together is uh, we're going to finish up a series of teachings that we've been doing called The Goat, where we have just been reading through the book of John together. There are four books in the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call these the Gospels because they tell about the life of Jesus. And so we chose one of those books, John, to read uh, the stories and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. And the reason we've done that is because there's something supernatural, something very supernatural about the Bible and about Jesus. And the more you hear about him, the more you read about him, and the more you find out about him, the more your heart begins to open up to believing in him and to love him more. And so we've been doing that. And the reason the series is called The Goat is because LL Cool J told us it's greatest of all time. The GOAT stands for greatest of all time, and uh, Jesus is the greatest of all time. Sorry, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Beyonce, sorry, is Jesus. He's the greatest of all time. And so there's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you if you want to grab that. We're going to be hanging out today in John chapter 20. If you don't know where that's at, we've made it really easy for you. On the sermon guide, there are page numbers. So all you got to do is find the page number. You got plenty of time to do that. It'll look like you know exactly where it is. Don't worry about it, okay? Um, today, I want to talk about belief. I want to talk about the power of believing. Belief is a really powerful thing. And you have a hundred, two hundred, a thousand different things in your life that you believe, things that you have strong opinions about. If you and I were to go out to coffee or to lunch, and I were just to bring up a number of different topics, you would be able to tell me what you believe. Some things you believe about topics, and you don't even realize you believe them, but as you begin to express them, you would realize that you have strong feelings, strong beliefs. Like, for example, if we were to go out to lunch or coffee, and I would say, hey, tell me what you think about Donald Trump, you would tell me what you believe. Good or bad, you would tell me what you believe. If I were to say, hey, tell me what you think about homeschooling versus public school, you would tell me what you believe. Vaccinations, you would tell me what you believe. Uh, you know, early Taylor Swift, late Taylor Swift, you would tell me what you believe. And come on, we know there are strong opinions both ways on that, and so you would tell me. But I'm interested what your answer would be if I were to ask you, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Tell me what you believe about Jesus. What's interesting is that while we could just, without even thinking, spit out strong opinions and, and express our beliefs about a number of different things, when I asked you what you believe about Jesus, most of us in the room would struggle to answer that question. 
If I were to ask you, hey, who is Jesus? Most of us in the room would struggle to answer that question. And the irony is that Jesus is the greatest of all time and does the greatest things in our life and is the most significant thing to ever happen to us and and the person who has done the most for us, but he is the person that we struggle to explain or know what it is that we believe. And belief's powerful. I was reading a, a, a link the other day. I, was, I guess it was on Facebook. I don't remember, but I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I clicked on a link, and, it, and then I clicked on another link, and then I clicked on another link, and like, I'm like five links in. That ever happened to you? And you're like, how did I get here? And you're thinking about ordering the dietary supplements, and you're not sure. And, you know, but I was reading this, this article, um, and the title of the article was, uh, Your Mom Lied to You. I don't know how I got there, but I got there. Your Mom Lied to You, Common Myths. Uh, debunked. And so I was reading through these lies, and as I was reading them, I thought, you know what? I got to share these on Easter because I think for probably most of us in the room, our parents lied to us in these ways. And if you're a parent in the room today, listen, you're probably lying right now to your kids about some of the things that I'm going to share with you. But I just want to kind of show you the power of belief. Here was uh, one of the lies that, were, that, that they talked about that our parents tell us, especially for the guys in the room. Maybe you've heard this one before. The lie is, if you shave, your facial hair will grow back thicker. How many people were told that as a kid? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Now, I'm 35, and I still can't grow a beard, all right? This is like a month's growth right here, all right? And I always wanted to have a beard. I was in high school. I looked 10. My friends looked 30. I wanted a beard. I wanted a mustache, and I couldn't do it. So, I mean, the moment a hair sprouted, I was shaving that thing off. Like, I really, but it doesn't work. It's a lie. According to renowned dermatologist, Dr. Jerry Hoskin, He says that shaving is just a method for cutting hair. It's all it does. It just cuts hair. It doesn't affect how it grows or what color it grows or anything like that. It just cuts hair. So that that was one lie. Let me give you another one. Maybe you were told this lie. Reading in the dark will hurt your eyes. How many people were told that growing up? Reading in the dark. Okay, not a lot of readers in the room. I'm a little, I don't know what the IQ of the room is, but I don't know. But if you were a reader, maybe, and you were told that reading in the dark would hurt your eyes, it's not true. According to Dr. Katrina Schmidt, due to the amazing resilience of the human eye, reading in dim light in a, uh, in, is not in itself going to ruin your eyes. But let me give you one more, and I'd be willing to bet that probably all of us in the room uh, were told this lie. It takes seven years for gum to pass through your digestive system. How many people have ever heard that one? How many parents in the room are still telling your kids that just so they won't swallow gum? Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we're going to give our mom a little bit of grace on this one because she probably was just confused about the word indigestible. Indigestible just means that your stomach can't break the food down, but it doesn't mean it stays in your stomach, all right? And so that's probably what she thought or her parents told her. But the reality and the truth is you could eat a whole pack of Big League Chew. Any Big League Chew fans in the room? Come on. You could eat a whole pack of that. Be out of your body in like two days, all right? So don't worry about about that. There were others like popping your knuckles will give you arthritis. Not true. Not wearing a coat outside will give you a cold. Not true. That's not how you get a cold. Um, but I'm sharing these with you just to kind of show you the, the, the power of belief. And these are silly examples. But isn't it crazy how when we begin to believe something as a child, like it stays with us? To this day, 35-year-old man, I know it's not true, but if I accidentally swallow a piece of gum, I panic for like 10 seconds. Like, man, it's going to be in there like seven years, Right? And then I have to remember it's not true, but that's how powerful belief is. It's how powerful it is. 
And so we believe some of these things, silly things as kids, but what about the things that are not silly? What about the things that we believe in our life that are very important and very serious, but, but they're not true? Maybe some of us in the room are still holding on to this belief that more money will, will fix all of our problems. Now, I know they say money won't buy happiness. I'm still arguing with them on that one. I think it probably would make me a little bit happy, but I do know that it wouldn't fix my problems. It may fix a few problems, but it would give me a whole new list of problems. And I make more money now than I did 10 years ago. Still got problems. And so if we believe that, that's how powerful belief is, that if we believe that, we will focus and make decisions based on more money because we believe that more money will fix our problems. Belief is powerful. What, what about the belief that walking away from your family won't hurt your children or your family that bad? A lot of us in the room could tell our story and we would say, hey, that's not true. It's still affecting us. Some of us in the room are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and we still have problems that go back to the fact that someone who said they loved us walked away from us. And in their mind, they believed that it wouldn't hurt that bad. It would hurt, but it wouldn't hurt that bad. It's not true. And belief is a powerful thing. What about the belief that I won't get addicted? I mean, I know people do get addicted, but I won't get addicted. Maybe you believed that, and now you're stuck. You'd give anything to live a different life, be a different person, but you are stuck and trapped. That is the power of belief. Now, what we're going to do today in John 20 is we're going to see four different people, four groups of people, I should say, some individuals, some groups, who are going to be faced with the decision of whether or not to believe that Jesus is alive. This is the This is the choice that they're going to have to make. They are going to respond to the news that Jesus is alive. And they're going to have to decide whether or not they believe that that is true. And that is also, by the way, something that all of us in this room have to decide about. That we weren't there when the disciples were there or the people in the Bible were there, but that doesn't make it any less true that we have to decide what we believe about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Was he just a man? Was he just a guy? Did he do some cool things? Or was he God? And did he die for your sins so that you could be forgiven and saved? And is he alive because he resurrected? Just like the people we're going to read about in this story in John 20, we have to decide today, what do we believe? And belief is a powerful thing. So let's read this together. Read this together, John 20, if you got that Bible that you pulled out, open that up. And uh, actually, what I want to do is I'm going to read the last two verses of John 19. So we're going to hang out in John 20, but I want to just read the last two verses of John 19. This is what it says. It says, The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand... They laid Jesus there. So at the end of chapter 19, Jesus is dead. His heart's not beating. He is not breathing. He is dead. He's wrapped, and he is put into a tomb. Like think of like a, a short, small cave in the side of a, of, a, of a rock or a mountain. He's put in the tomb. 
And then they, whatever part they used to cut out the hole, they put that back over the hole. And he is in there, and there's soldiers guarding it so that nobody can steal him. And he's there for three days. And then the very first verse of chapter 20, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. This would be a shocking thing because you can't really roll away a stone. You'd have to have a group of guys. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, you just need to know that John wrote the book of John, and he got to decide what people would call him in the book, and so he chose the disciple Jesus loved, all right? I guess when you're the author, you get to just call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. So John chose the disciple Jesus loved, all right? There you go. I'm sure that other disciples love that. And so she found Peter and John, and she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Just a little humble brag right there for John's speed. And he reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed that the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, verse 9, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead, and then they went home. Let's stop for a second. We're going to read some more a little bit later, but let's stop for a second because in these first 10 verses of John 20, we see the first response to the news that Jesus is alive. And the first response is confidence. That's what John had. John had confidence. Verse 8 says that he went in the tomb, and then here's the phrase. It says, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. Like, it took like five seconds for John. He looks in, he sees it, he gets it, he believes. No questions, no doubts, no conversations. He sees, he believes. I mean, just like that. Just confident belief in Jesus. And some of you in the room, this is your story. It took one sermon, one church service, one Bible story from your parents, one FCA meeting, one summer camp. You heard, you believed. You heard about Jesus, your heart opened, and you believed. No crazy, you know, hope story or testimony about how awful your life was. No, you heard and you believed. It's kind of my wife Andrea's story. She got saved and followed Jesus when she was like six. I don't even know how she understood it all. But she did, and she just followed Jesus since six until she met me, and I kind of led her astray, and then we came back together, and, but that was her story, you know? She, somebody explained it to her, and she was like, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. Now, if that's not your story, it can feel a little bit intimidating. You know, when you're surrounded by people, and it feels like they have great faith, but you don't, or it feels like they don't have any struggles, but you do. Have you ever had that experience where, like, somebody has a prayer request, and are like, man, please pray for me. Like, I am just really struggling. And then they share their struggle, and you're like, really? I ain't even praying for that. That ain't even a struggle, right? Like, I'm not, just, just really pray for me. Like, I've just been struggling so much lately. Like, I've run a couple red lights. Like, really? That's your struggle? You run some, like, I, cops chase me. Okay, that's my struggle yeah, just pray for I haven't been reading the Bible every day like I want. Like, really, that's your struggle. Like, 
right? No, come on. And so if you're around people and it feels like that they just get it, they just believe, they're just confident about who Jesus is, they're confident in their faith, it, it can feel intimidating, it can feel like you're inferior, it can feel like God like has a ranking system and they're way up top and you're way down low. It's like ACT or SAT scores, you know, and like, like God will let you in, but you're going to be in the balcony and like, okay, but that's not how God does it. And so we're going to see three other responses that are not confident. And so if you're here and that's your story, like, thank you, Jesus, Easter just gives me more confidence, that's amazing. But I'd be willing to bet for most of us in the room, that's not our response to the truth that Jesus is alive. It's not our story. It's not my story. It's probably not your story. So let's look at a couple of other responses to the news that Jesus is alive, to believing in Jesus. Look at verse 11. Let's keep reading. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. So Mary really believes that someone has come in and stolen the body of Jesus. That's what she believes to be true. And I don't know where they've put him. And she turned to leave and saw someone, verse 14, standing there. And it was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Great question. Mary's so confused, she thought it was the gardener. And sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Verse 16, Mary, Jesus said. Mary. Mary. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. So John was confident. Good for John. Disciple Jesus loved. That's awesome, John. But Mary was not confident. Let me give you the second response to the news, to the truth that Jesus is alive, the opportunity to believe in Jesus. Here's the second response. Confusion. Mary was so confused. Somebody's taken him. The gardener's moved him. Somebody's unwrapped his body. In my Bible, I have it underlined where she, she said the four words she said, and I don't know. And I don't know. And for some of you in the room, this is your story. I don't know. I don't know. You feel a pull towards Jesus. You feel a, a tug towards Jesus. Maybe you've been coming to church, but you just don't, you don't know. You're confused. I've tried to read the Bible. It's confusing. I try to listen to the sermons, but it's confusing. I, I don't know what's, what's happening. I don't know what's, what's going on. And it, it seems like a small thing, but I love the way that Jesus responds to Mary. Jesus doesn't show up to Mary and say, snap out of it. Come on, Mary. Jeez Louise, I'm right here. No. He simply calls her by name, Mary. Mary. You know, tone of voice is so amazing because you could be in the middle of a crowd making a ton of noise and your spouse or your child says your name and you know immediately it's them. I never answer the phone and Andrea has to say, hey, it's Andrea. I know it's her. If she was across the room and she said, Jason, I'd know it's her because I know what her voice sounds like. And that's kind of how I imagine this moment. Mary is so confused and disoriented, and she doesn't know what's going on, and she's just, she doesn't know what she believes. And Jesus says to her, Mary. And when he does, immediately, look at what happens. She says, Jesus. 
And so maybe you're here today, maybe this is your story, you're just so confused. You grew up in a different religion, you're not sure what you believe, and you're, you, you have tons of questions. What we believe what happened in this story has happened to so many of us in this room. It's one personal experience with Jesus. See, the same way that I know what my wife's voice sounds like or my daughter's voice sounds like, I believe that built into each one of our hearts is the ability to know what God's voice sounds like. Now, I'm not saying that you're a professional at knowing when God's speaking to you and when he's not, and I know that idea seems even foreign, but I do believe in those moments in life where you're confused and you're disoriented and you're searching for truth and you're trying to decide if you, if you need to believe in Jesus, you need to follow Jesus. I do believe that built into every heart it is that ability for Jesus to call you by name and you know it's him. And some of you in this room right now, you know. Jesus has been calling you. And yeah, you got questions, and yeah, you're confused, but you know he's called you by name, and he knows your name. And you have an opportunity to believe the truth today, that Jesus is alive. So John was confident. Mary was confused. But let me give you another one. Look at verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. John was confident. Mary was confused. The disciples were afraid. Number three, fear. This is a response to Jesus. This is a response to the idea, the news that Jesus is alive. This is a response to the opportunity to follow Jesus. It's fear. Now, the disciples were literally afraid in their context because to admit that they believed that Jesus was alive was probably going to cost them their life. Because they killed Jesus, they'd probably kill the disciples. Now, we are blessed enough to live in a place where following Jesus is not going to cost you their life, but that cost you your life, but that's not true anywhere, all over the world. I don't know if you saw the reports this morning, 138 people killed in Sri Lanka, eight bombs, Christians who were meeting in church, bombs that were set off to disrupt Easter celebrations. I'm so grateful that God allows me to live in a place where I'm, my life is not in danger for believing in Jesus, but that doesn't mean that I have nothing to be afraid of. It's interesting that, that when we get ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, we think about all the reasons why we shouldn't. Isn't that interesting how we do that? All of the things that we have to be afraid of for committing our life to Jesus. I made a list of a couple of things that maybe we're afraid of believing in Jesus and following Jesus. What about, what will my friends think about me? What will my friends think about me? All of us got a little middle schooler left in there in our hearts, you know? What will my friends think about me? We've been friends forever, and they don't follow Jesus. And if I follow Jesus, what are they going to think? And how's that going to affect our relationship? What about this one? Like, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to believe in Jesus. But will I have to give up everything fun? I mean, I know Christians, they're lame. Do I have to be one of them? Like, can I still go out, clubs and bars? Can I, can I still, like, go do fun things, you know? Can I, do I have to stop doing fun things to follow Jesus? That's a fear we have, right? We're afraid, like, God's going to strike us with lightning if we step foot in a church. Some of y'all keep looking up today, like, I don't know. Yeah, the building's going to burn down. 
Will I have to make up? This is a fear. Will I have to make up for all the wrong things I've done? Like, I still have warrants out for me, Jason. Like, do I have to go turn myself in? If I commit my life to Jesus, do I have to go turn myself in for the crimes I've committed? Kind of afraid of that. And we have so many things that we're afraid of. And what's ironic is that we would admit that the choices and the activities and the habits we have now have made us miserable or lonely or anxious or depressed or, you know, arrested or something. But when we get ready to follow Jesus, we're afraid to give up the things that are ruining our life, that we would admit are ruining our life. But we're afraid to give them up because we want this safety clause. We want this back door. Like, hey, if this doesn't work out, I want to be able to go back and, you know, get it. And so we're afraid. And that's where the disciples were. They were afraid. That's what the Bible says. But I love that Jesus doesn't show up and be like, y'all some sissies, man. Unlock the door. No. He's standing among them, the Bible says. And he says, peace. Peace be with you. And I just want you to have peace. And some of you in the room are so afraid of so many things in your life, fear and anxiety, and Jesus wants you to have peace today. But you're not going to find peace in, in, in all the other things that are out there. You find peace in Jesus. And I love what happens when he shows up and he says, peace be with you. It says that as he showed them the, the, the scars, they were filled with not fear, joy. I don't know about you, but I know for me that I would, I would love for some things in my life that are fearful, anxious spots to be replaced with joy. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the answer to our fear. And so maybe that's your story today. Maybe you're like, man, Jason, I want to follow Jesus. I feel this tugging. I want to believe. But I'm just afraid of what will happen if I do. And so John was confident. Mary was confused. The disciples were afraid. But I want to give you one more. And I think for a lot of us in the room, maybe we could find ourselves in this last guy. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came the first time. So he wasn't in the room of what we just read. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas is with them, and the doors, they were still locked. I love that it's a process. All right, here we go. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. The book of John is 21 chapters long. And in 21 chapters in the book of John, 99 different times the word believe is written. It's the message of the book. It's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not behave. The message of Jesus is Belief. Belief. Belief is a powerful thing. It changes you. It changes what you do. But you'll never, you don't believe by changing what you do. You change what you do by believing. Does that make sense to everybody in the room? And so Thomas is here, and he's got all these friends that are like, we've seen him. We believe Jesus is alive. And he's like, nah, I don't think so. The fourth response to the news that Jesus is alive is, Skepticism. 
Thomas was skeptical. In my Bible, I have it underlined the little phrase. He said, I won't believe unless. And I'd be willing to bet that probably a lot of you in the room have maybe said a phrase like that before. I won't believe unless God himself writes it in the sky. I won't believe unless this prayer gets answered. Maybe you've said before, I could never believe in a God who, whatever it is you would say right there. And I love that Jesus doesn't show up to Thomas and be like, Thomas, you think you're tough? Let's go. Come on. Oh, you want to debate me? Okay. No. He shows up. First of all, I love the fact that Thomas was allowed to be in the room even though he wasn't sure what he believed. And I want you to know that's true at Hope City Church. That you can be in this room even if you don't agree with us. But Jesus shows up and he walks right over to him because that's what Jesus is. He's a personal God. And he walks over to him and he's willing to let Thomas work through his disbelief. And then he says, believe. And I love Thomas's response in verse 28. He says, my Lord and my God. I, this is the story of so many people that I know here at Hope City that have, have really battled with skepticism. They're atheists. They're agnostic. I can't believe. I don't know what to believe. And, and, and one experience, one personal experience with Jesus, and they're like, my Lord, my God. Thomas doesn't say, your Lord, your God. He doesn't say, their Lord, their God. He says, my Lord, and my God. It's what happens when you have a personal experience with Jesus is he becomes your Lord and your God. John was confident. Good for John. Mary was confused. The disciples were afraid. Thomas was skeptical. Those were their responses to Jesus, but I love Jesus' response to them. He just steps in the room with them. He just talks to them. He just calls them by name, and he meets them right where they are, and he does the same thing for you today. And I want to end by just reading you a few more verses, and we're going to be done. At the end of John 20, after he's done talking to Thomas, verse 29, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. In other words, Jesus says, I'm standing right in front of you. That's why you believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. He's talking about you, by the way. Jesus is, is talking about you because we didn't get to be in the room. He didn't show up to us in the physical form and let us touch the scars and touch the nails and touch the... He, he didn't let us do that. And so Jesus says to Thomas, listen, it's not a competition, but if it was they'd be beating you because you got to see me and touch me, but blessed are the people for the rest of time who believe in me even though they didn't get the opportunity you got. And he's talking to us today. He's talking to you. You get the opportunity today to believe in Jesus and to believe that Jesus is alive and to believe that Jesus can save you even though you've never seen him Verse 30, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written, what we've read for the last 12 weeks and what we've read today, so that you may continue to behave, no, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. We're sitting at coffee, we're at lunch, I say, hey, what do you believe about Jesus? Here's what I hope you would be able to say. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
and that he is the one who gives me life because he came and he died on the cross and forgave me of my sins and gave me a chance to have a relationship with God. That's what I believe about Jesus. And John says, if you believe that, if you believe that, you can have life. So the last question I want to ask you is this. Do you feel alive? Do you feel alive? If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus and you love your life and you feel alive, thank you for coming. Eat good today. Have a great day. I'm not going to try to talk you into anything. But if there is a chance that you're here today and you would say, I have felt alive that time when, but that lasted like a month or a week or three years, but I don't feel alive anymore. John says, Jesus says, the Bible says, there's only one way to feel alive and it not have an expiration date. Belief in Jesus. Believe. The message of Jesus is not behave. The message of Jesus is belief. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that when we didn't have a way to get to you, you made a way. You sent Jesus, your son, to this earth to live and to die and to be raised from the dead so that we could have life. So God, I pray for every person in the room who doesn't feel alive today. I pray for every person in the room who has this feeling, this gnawing sense that you've been calling them by name. So God, I I just pray for every person in the room who is confused, every person in the room who's afraid, every person in the room who, who is skeptical, God. Will you meet them right where they are? give them a personal experience with you today so that they would believe. In Jesus' name, amen.